0: over the first 30 plus years of my life as a believer as a minister and as a missionary in uh, a lot of the countries of the earth check it out anthologies from the forefront book two getting closer to god it's on amazon welcome to from the forefront an ethics missions podcast stories about courageous souls who felt the call of missions and obeyed. We're honored today to be joined by Scott Stripling. Dr. Scott Stripling is in Houston right now, and he's treading water just to get the uh, podcast out to us. Uh, No, the flooding there, Scott, has been tremendous. Thank you so much for taking some time, especially under the circumstances, uh, to join us.
1: Well, it's a real privilege to uh, be with you. I'm looking up the window in my office right now and we are getting hammered pretty good, but thank God we have electricity and Wi-Fi and a good supply of food and uh we're we're just trusting the Lord that all is going to be well.
0: Wow. Well, I know it's been a super challenging environment there with Hurricane Harvey. I guess Hurricane Mm -hmm. now tropical storm Harvey who is back in the Gulf and then, you know, looks like he's headed. Maybe the eye will come over you guys and you'll get a relief from the rain.
1: Well, we, we've seen all of Harvey that we want to see, so we're, we're ready to <laughs> send him on to uh, visit other
0: other folks now. I can well imagine. But again, thank you for, for being here. Scott, I wanted to just take a few minutes to get a, a quick biographical sketch of you. You were on The Leadership Moment or other podcasts some time back, and you talked about getting things done and and some keys to how that could be accomplished. For those of you who haven't heard that episode, I recommend it to you highly. Leadership moment uh, with Scott Stripling, Dr. Scott Stripling. He was maybe episode 107, something to that effect. But thank you uh, for doing that and for coming back to take more time with us. Want to get to know you a little bit better. I know you have a, you're an archeologist. You have an active dig site in Israel. You're the provost of a, of a Bible school, and it looks like you're a fairly prodigious speaker. You're out and about quite a bit talking uh, in different places on the subject, in a variety of subjects, that appear. So what can we know about you in just a few minutes here? What would you include? Well, Scott, I guess the, the short uh, bio
1: would be that I've been married for almost 35 years, uh, have, Congratulations. Well, we married very young, <laughs> and fortunately, uh, it's, it's lasted, and we're very happy. We have four grown children and two grandchildren. We live in the southwest Houston area. I serve as the director of excavations for the Associates for Biblical Research's uh, excavation at Ancient Shiloh, and prior to that, I was the director of excavations at Kirbidell Makater, which is nine miles north of Jerusalem. And uh, I also serve as the provost at the Bible Seminary here in the Houston, Texas area. And the two work together beautifully because I'm able to involve students in doing firsthand biblical research. So they're not just reading what others have to say about evidence, but they're actually doing firsthand investigative work, which is uh, quite fascinating. I'm the author of several books. Uh, Since the last time we spoke, the second edition of The Trowel and the Truth has come out, and it's available all over the place, but probably easiest to get for folks through Mm -hmm. amazon.com. And it's a series of synchronisms between the archaeological data and the biblical text that open up a dialogue, if you will, between what the Bible says and what archaeology has to say.
0: Fascinating. I mean, that's a connection we, I think, in general, don't see often enough, or I mean, there's a lot... I think uh revelation in there, the little bit of exposure I've had has always been fascinating on that front. So very cool. Very cool. I, I think it's cool also as you mentioned with the uh students getting kind of getting their hands dirty on the practical side of things. I'm sure that helps with the what's taken away from the studies.
1: Well, it does. And and I mean, anytime you get out of your environment and you're able to to move into that 1040 window, you're able to see other cultures and examine your own worldview in light of the worldview of others and presuppositions that underlie those worldviews. It's just <laughs> totally fascinating. So not only are they able to, to move in a multicultural environment, but also to do that original firsthand uh, biblical research, which will impact the, the rest of their lives and ministries.
0: That is such a, a key set of uh, pieces there for really producing some people who have themselves well-grounded in Scripture and history and perspective and multicultural exposure. Sounds like a great, a great, great thing.
1: Well, it really is. I mean, my goal is that when it's all said and done, that people would say of us, like they said in the book of Acts, that those who have turned the world upside down have now come here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, and uh, they said it with trepidation. Yeah. So I, uh, it must mean we have some some power when it can be truthfully said of us that way. So, yeah, I, I remember that scripture, and, and it, it's a personal favorite. I hope to represent that myself. So, yeah, thanks for thanks for mentioning that. So, you know, as you mentioned there, are a few things there about worldview. I've had some personal exposure to some worldview curriculum and that. But what would you say in your traveling and in your different, you know, ministry aspects or in the churches you speak in? What would you see as uh, one of the lacking or most needed components in the Christian worldview mm. that that should be filled in, those blanks filled in? For me
1: personally, I, the thing that I see as a challenge is having a comprehensive worldview. We see people who believe in God and believe portions of Scripture, and, and they're trying to integrate it, but maybe they lack a model that enables them to do that, and I see really covenant as a model that enables us to see life the way that God sees life. And I, I believe mm-hmm. that the sovereignty of God, overriding everything, I sit here in the middle of a hurricane as I speak, <laughs> that the sovereignty of God is, is a real thing. I don't believe in dualism. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the fragmented worldview within evangelical circles today is a result of embracing dualism, that uh, mm-hmm. God and Satan are still locked in this eternal battle and that good and evil must coexist together. I believe that the mm-hmm. triumph of the cross seated Jesus on David's throne and that he has full authority right now and that He uh, he's eager to bring us into proprietorship in this family business, that we embrace that that worldview and that authority, that we represent him with full authority and uh, that nothing can happen to us without God's permission. And if he allows it, then it's good for us, even unto death, because life is not about us and our happiness.
0: It's about God and his glory. Wow. That was a lot in just a minute or maybe a minute 30. That was powerful, man. I'm tracking with you. And so many things come to mind, just one element after another there, the dualism struggle that you're talking about. One thing I think the Lord showed me many years ago or some years ago, maybe more than 10, maybe 15, was that, you know, the throne of God is is unthreatened. Right. And also that Satan isn't God on the negative. You know what I'm right. saying? He doesn't compare in any way, nor does any created being compare in any way to God himself. Yeah. He is transcendent, he is higher, he is far beyond. And I think sometimes as believers we give we give our minds too much to maybe not the spoken aspect. Nobody says that the devil is equal to God, but a lot of times I think we give that type of credence to the devil in our thinking. It certainly trips us up if we do that. So very happy to to hear your comments there. What else about worldview do you focus on when you try to teach aspects of that? I know there's a link specifically on your site that talks you know, about worldview. And I, I'd like to direct people there under the ScottStripling.net slash media.html. There are some audio messages there that worldview reset. What can you tell us about worldview reset? Well, I
1: think that's uh, exactly what I'd like people to do is sort of take a step back and examine what they believe and why they believe it. And is it consistent with the character and the nature of God? If we embrace the, the truth, the overriding truth that God is sovereign and that nothing happens to us as believers without his permission, then that means I don't need a, a devil consciousness all the time. I, I, that yeah. I'm aware that it's like a magical formula that if I say something wrong or do something wrong, that now Satan is, is out to get me. Hey, when I read the book of Job, I see that Satan had to go to God to get permission before he could touch his servant. And, mm. and God allowed it, and it was for Job's good. And, mm. I, and that's what I believe about my life, and I believe that's true for all of us. I, yes. I'm not sure that we all fully embrace that, and I wish that we <laughs> would, because it's very empowering. Yeah. It's very liberating, because I- as a Christian, and once we undergo go through baptism, which represents an embracing of the death and resurrection of Christ, so once we die, then we have no fear of death. And uh, every wow. day that we have is a bonus— and we really don't fear death so it's very empowering i mean i excavate in the west bank of israel <laughs> and for years with a, a palestinian <laughs> village on one side and a jewish village on the other side and you know i'm sitting here in the midst of a hurricane right now so this isn't just just pie in the sky stuff i'm talking about this is this is what makes life work for me and i believe that it's mm-hmm. it's biblical and i believe it's empowering for for others when they embrace
0: it as well Absolutely and I mean this this brings to mind something for me that I've uh, thought about for a while and I, and I, I I'm not sure who this quote comes from, but I, for me it helps me understand what you're saying. you know, the idea that we don't see the world as it is, we see the world as we are. Mm. So if, if we don't we don't have a concept uh, of the kind that you're talking about, where we're alive in Christ and death has no hold over us, where we don't have to live in fear and we don't have to live in uh, perpetual uncertainty of these kinds of things. God is God. There's none like him, you know, and mm-hmm. he's a sovereign element of who he is. We can abide in that safely, whether unto life or unto death, as you're saying. But if we don't see those things, if our mind is not open to this idea or open to this reality, mm-hmm. Then we are hampered by constant fear, or maybe we feel the the universe and our country and our you know our world and our life is in some kind of a flat spin yes. that we can never get out. We experience that as a reality, even though in reality God is on his throne. What we experience depends on how we look at and how we perceive what's around us. Mm-hmm. so that, that to me is 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 powerful. For me personally, I I think that a lot of the informing that I've had of this kind has come by being exposed to different cultures, different perspectives, different contributions, if you will, from believers in other parts of the world. How has that uh, impacted you, if it has? Well, certainly it has. I mean, we're all products of our environment
1: to some extent. I think presuppositionalism is is a big key. And uh, I would refer the listeners to get depth on this to go to Cornelius Van Til, who wrote extensively on presuppositionalism. But we all come with certain biases and presuppositions, and, and that's okay. I mean, I can, my biases are, are informed, I believe, by hundreds of synchronisms between the archaeological data and the biblical text, for example, where I can <laughs> give you hundreds of examples of where the Bible says this and it's confirmed by archaeology at a certain point, I think a rational person would have to reach the conclusion that the Bible is for example a reliable historical document. Mm. so then yes, I do have presuppositions just before this interview started, I was responding to um, a major newspaper in Israel that wanted my reaction to a front page story that just hit there and uh, the the authors are are their presuppositions are so so evident they're they, they question when the Bible was written they question the historicity of the Bible they think that the Ark of the Covenant wasn't in Jerusalem until the time of Josiah and they think they've got archaeological reasons to support that well I'm putting together my statement because they're wanting to quote me in a response to this in in uh, this Saturday in Israel mm. it's just so clear the the presupp- these are brilliant uh, excavators by the way but their presuppositions that they cannot trust the Bible as a historical historically reliable document are 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 clearly evident in the hiddats article my response my presuppositions will be clear in that too so i think the the challenge for me is to be honest about my presuppositions uh, i recognize that i have them i want to be open to always learning and reexamining and rethinking things but I, I'm not sure that our friends on the left are as honest about their presuppositions as as I'm attempting to be.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I see what I see what you're saying there. I think the scripture, as I understand it, especially I think of a, a scripture in Proverbs that says a wise person is open to new ideas. Mm-hmm. That's a a, a strong sure. paraphrase, right. <laughs> clearly. But you know, the idea of wisdom. I think sometimes we get in our minds that the idea of wisdom is a closed set of uh, you know it's a closed set of books, if you will. But and may, maybe wisdom in the ultimate sense is complete. But as we understand, embrace, and participate with wisdom and gain wisdom, you know that that books those books are certainly not complete inside of me by any means. So I think that means we have to keep our minds open and be prepared to learn something we don't know if we're in fact going to grow and, and bring on board more of what it is that the Lord wants to show us.
1: Well, that's right. And I think one of the things that effective leaders do is they're constantly growing. I, I often ask people, when's the last time you read a book? What, what was that book? Uh, is there a new skill that you're acquiring? Is there a new language that you're learning? Are you growing? Are you expanding? Are you loving the Lord with your mind? I mean, we're admonished by Jesus to, to, I mean, Jesus himself expands upon Deuteronomy, which says, love the Lord with your heart, soul, and strength. And Jesus, when he quotes it, he says, love the Lord with your mind, heart, soul, and Mm. strength. And I Mm. think by developing this capacity that he's given us is another way that we worship God is by by knowing Him intellectually, as well as mystically. And of course, a relationship, mm-hmm. an intimate spiritual relationship, but I think it's heart, mind, soul,
0: and strength. That's cool. I haven't heard that highlighted in exactly that way. Loving the Lord with your mind. That Do you feel like that maybe that's something that you specifically have as a, maybe something you're carrying from God to encourage people to do and also to help them understand how to do?
1: I, I do, Scott. And I, the information age that we live in, I think while it's awesome, it's also intimidating. And maybe, maybe people haven't even thought about the fact that they're intimidated by it. But so much information and much of it contradictory, how could I ever get a grasp on what real truth is? You've got people of equal intellect on both sides of these arguments. How could I know? And I think that discipline of loving God with our mind, which begins by thinking the thoughts of God, walking with wise men, with developing our own capacity that, that he has given us, I, I think is just critically important. And I would encourage all of your listeners to, uh, to do just that, to expand their, their thoughts, to read in some different areas, to, to grow, to challenge some presuppositions. And I'm not talking about foundational presuppositions of the existence right. of God, but I'm talking about yeah. uh, worldview type presuppositions. You know, mm-hmm. do, do we really know that the world is getting worse and worse? I hear people say that all the time. Do we really know that? Have we studied ancient history? Do we know what the bubonic plague was? I mean, <laughs> w- when was the last yeah. time that half the population was, was wiped out? I mean, and again, I'd hate to re- keep saying this, but I'm sitting sure. here in the midst of a hurricane and there's, yeah. there's, there's devastation, of course. There's devastation, but there's always been. And yeah. uh, do we have proof that things are getting worse and worse? What if there, things are actually not? How does that change how I might live my life
0: and plan my future? One of the things that is on the top of my mind, I was talking to a friend the other day, believer, strong believer, devout person and i was talking to him specifically about some business opportunities that I'm, I'm participating in working on right now i said you know well it looks like this and this is coming together and this is going to be a good development and i i remember him saying and it caught me off guard to you know to a degree he said yeah you know that that's that all sounds really good but you know what if something happens that you know sort of like some imminent major world impacting event Happens and it, you know, kind of wipes out that possibility. And it was the last mm. thing I expected to hear from this guy because it, to me, that was, I don't think he maybe I misunderstood, but it sounded ha- like it had a hint of fatalism, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I think if we think about, you know, the scripture in Proverbs comes to mind that says the guy, the maybe the slackard or mm-hmm. the sluggard mm-hmm. says, I can't go out in the street. There's a lion out there, you know. You know, there's there's a opposition. I'm overwhelmed by the opposition in the street, so I really can't go out there. That kind of felt like that to me. Do you see this often, or sure. does that make sense? Do you oh, see this often? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. What, what what if I were to fail? But I say, what if I were to succeed? And I think <laughs> when we begin to to really tap into the goodness of God and the the greatness of God. It empowers us with a boldness. The Bible says the righteous are bold as a lion. So mm. the sluggard says there's a lion in the street, but the Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion. The wicked flee when no one is even pursuing them. Mm. So there's truly, a paranoia truly. that uh, that can come upon people when they don't embrace the 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 optimism that God wants us to have. I mean, I don't think the disciples were a thing when Jesus sent them, it gave them the overwhelming task of going into these large metropolitan, cosmopolitan cities of the first century. And these guys were from the country. I don't think they sat around and said, well, what if, you know, what if they reject us? And what if they, somebody gets mad at us? And what if they throw us out of their cities? No, Jesus told them out front, they're going to throw you out. They're going to persecute you. They're going to do this. Mm-hmm. And and they went forward with a total optimism that they were in the plan
0: and will of God. Wow. That, and you know, I think they probably focused on the power that had been entrusted to them more than they did on the, on the potential opposition that they had in front of them. And did they ever change the world with that power? Incredible,
1: yeah. incredible
0: and perspective. I, you know? I wonder if they go
1: hearken back at times to say John chapter four, where this great conversation at the well takes place and th- they're seeing one thing and Jesus is seeing something totally different. And he tells mm-hmm. them, don't, don't, Think in your heart, the eyes of your heart, don't don't say four more months and then the harvest comes. Mm. Open your eyes. Mm. Open your eyes. I mean, he was seeing something that they weren't seeing. I would yes. suggest that as we come into maturity in Christ, that our ability to see is going to be different many times than what others are seeing. And if we can help bring them along and help them see by painting word pictures— by them catching our own enthusiasm, by them retraining their own thought processes, that we've done a good thing.
0: Wow. Absolutely. Absolutely we have. And I think it's a responsibility. I think as we embrace this reality that we need to keep growing, keep going, keep advancing. And there's really, I think, so much more the Lord wants to show us, instruct us in, reveal to us. If we keep that thirst and, and that hunger alive, and continue to go forward. This maturity that you're referencing is something that'll that will grow in and as you say vision, perspective and scope of influence is something I think the Lord is wanting so much to share with us. To the degree we grow into uh, that, we can co-labor with him in that way. Mm-hmm. So that that to me is cool. It's it's very interesting also the fact that you're what do they say? No dunce with the blade. (laughs) You've got it. You've done your work on the scriptural side, obviously, and you've added to that science. That's something I always appreciated in the scripture where it said that Solomon could sit and have a conversation with you about all manner of knowledge, Mm -hmm. including science and this and that, and this and that he was extremely well-versed. And that's what you're talking about reading broadly. Yes. You know, re- reading broadly puts you in a position to hold an intelligent and thought provoking conversation with a variety of people. For the advantage of the gospel, for well, the advantage right. of the truth. And so I, I really appreciate uh, Tozer. I recently, mm-hmm. I guess it's been a few years ago, I read a biography about Tozer, at wherein it was highlighted that he, uh, A.W. Tozer, for those who might not recognize just the last name, he read extremely broadly, and it put him in a position to communicate just as broadly. I think maybe for the younger folks who
1: are listening to Mm -hmm. that maybe they they don't understand or not seeing the whole picture right now of why they're getting certain training that they're getting or a certain job that Mm -hmm. they're in for a season or why why I've got this degree when I'm heading this direction or I want to do this. Trust God in in his sovereignty. He's directing all these things. Uh, A man plans his way, but the Lord directs his path. And uh, earlier in my life, In my early twenties, I finished a master's degree in English. Well, that seems uh, English literature. That seems kind of unrelated to to my life's work, but it's really not. Uh, (laughs) Those skills of enabling me to interpret literature are the same skills that help me with the biblical text. And Mm. uh, of course, the Bible is is literature in a sense too. Right. Uh, And seeing how all those Experiences from earlier in life come together at this stage. I'm in my 50s now, mm. is just a fascinating thing, really. It's like what God's masterpiece, which I think is what all of us are. I mean, he's the potter and we're the clay, and he's shaping us into vessels of honor, I believe, for his glory.
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, the tapestry that he's weaving, I think as long as we're just concentrating on the one strand there that seems to be an unusual color or (laughs) maybe doesn't fit the pattern, you know, we can we can get uh, disheartened, if you will, in that in that pursuit. But clearly, as we begin to see and accept the invitation of the Lord to to see as he sees and think as he thinks and and participate with him in a full scope of his creation, we start to see these pieces of the puzzle come into place and we get a more comprehensive perspective. Uh, I do have one question for you. You mentioned a name when you spoke about presuppositionalism. Mm. I must say I probably am not doing a great job of pronouncing (laughs) that because it's not a word I've said a lot before. So presuppositionalism You referred to a a name. Can you give that to us again because it passed quickly?
1: Yes, Cornelius Van Til. Cornelius Van Til, okay. The the great presuppositionalist. um, Okay. Just a a fascinating philosopher, Christian philosopher. He was a Reformed theologian and Mm -hmm. um, lived in the early 20th century, basically, or on into. I I think maybe he died in the 1980s, but had a fascinating career as a writer and influenced Many of our our great Christian thinkers and writers today.
0: Very cool. I wanted to make sure that wasn't lost. I didn't want to lose it personally, but I didn't. Want, I wanted to make sure it was a, able to be captured. And the idea going back just briefly, presuppositionalism is what is the assumptions we bring to the table. Really, That's is right. what you're, what you're saying. This is like maybe this is what our context has informed us to per, believe. Maybe our our family. Uh, situation, our background, our personal history, and maybe even culture has informed us in a certain way. All of those things together, all of our influences and and the, our perspectives come together to create a certain set of assumptions and those he's speaking to in this presuppositionalism. But I guess the first key to that is to realize you have them. That's tr- to be
1: self-aware. There's an important word. The, the word is sentient. To be self-aware, I am a sentient being created by God. I am self-aware. Descartes, mm-hmm. the great philosopher, Descartes gave us the the Latin phrase "Cogito, ergo sum." I think, therefore, I am. Um, I am sentient. I am aware mm-hmm. of who I am, how I fit into my environment, how I am impacting my environment, how I'm being impacted by it. I am mm-hmm. self-aware of the existence of God and who I am in my identity. And I think that's a powerful thing. So when 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 I embrace the fact that I am a sentient being created in the image of God and I discover what my purpose and identity is, then I'm empowered. I mean I think Rick Warren wrote a great book, uh, the, the purpose driven life. Yes. When when I am empowered with that that realization, my, I really do have a purpose driven life. And I think a lot of
0: organizations, if if they're succeeding, it's because they're purpose driven. Well, I had, I wasn't thinking Rick Warren, though I have read the book and I'm, I'm a, certainly a fan of, of his work. I wasn't thinking that when you were talking sentient, but so, you know, that's a great sentient, sentient is S E N S I E N T. Am I correct? Yes. Uh huh. Okay. So just wanted to make sure I got that right for those who are going to have to, like me, listen to this several times <laughs> and pull out the nuggets. So I want to make sure we give the tools uh, available and necessary
1: well in other words it's a it's a quality that other animals species for example don't have and mm. you know i'm not trying to convince anyone that their dog doesn't have a personality because mine certainly right. does <laughs> but, but but my dog yes. is not sentient i mean she has no sense right. of modesty for example <laughs> uh, or or self-awareness uh, that that yeah. we would have uniquely
0: as human beings well let's talk if we can here and i i'm i'm loving where we're at right now i'm enjoying this greatly it's it's uh, not only is it uh, enjoyable but it's inspiring i'm feeling a, a lot of inspiration Ooh. from the conversation here i want to talk a little bit about your dig if you don't mind, uh, tell us a little bit about that. And if you would, let us know, how did you get into archaeology? What interested you there? There may be some who are trying to forge that path and want to know how yours was. So I think that would be important. And then maybe you could tell us a little bit specifically about the process you're in in the dig. And how, how are you in the early stages on this particular dig or where you guys are? Can you, can you do that for us? Oh, absolutely. I would love to. Um,
1: As a young pastor, as a a young scholar, uh, I wanted to love the Lord with my mind. And I got the sense that, and I hope no one takes this incorrectly, because I don't mean it as a criticism toward the the church, because I am a a man of the church, a product of the church. But my sense was that the way that we do church in the 21st century Mm -hmm. may not have been exactly what when John the Baptist and Jesus were strategizing about this thing called the kingdom of God, which is going to change the world. (laughs) Maybe this isn't exactly how they envisioned that it was all going to happen. Yeah. Okay. So uh, that was my sense. And Mm -hmm. I, I had this yearning to understand the historical Jesus. And I don't mean in the, the, historical criticism realm of it. Some people oh, use right, that term, right. but I mean, yeah. get me back to Jesus of Nazareth. Okay. How can mm-hmm. I peel away the layers of tradition that shouldn't be there and get back to that kernel, that core of, of the Jesus message. I want the Jesus movement. And, and mm-hmm. I saw archeology span as a means by which I could begin to peel back the layers of the centuries and to get back to that that original Jesus movement, and in that mm. sense, I have to say that I'm pleased. I think for me, it has done that. It has enabled me to, uh, while I by no means understand everything, but to to get back to that original late Second Temple period Judaism and see what it meant to them then and there, and hopefully, by the help of God, to communicate it to, to people here and now. Now. I, I kind of worked my way up through the archaeological ranks as a volunteer, as an assistant square supervisor, as a supervisor, as, a, as an assistant director, as a co-director, and then finally, you know, the, the, the director of my own excavation. Mm-hmm. Um, the project that we're working on now at uh, Ancient Shiloh, which is 20 miles north of Jerusalem, just started last year. So this is our, our just completed our first season of a multi-year mm-hmm. project that could go anywhere from five years to 20 years, just depending on how things go. Um, Our initial Mm -hmm. goals, I think I'll be able to address those in five years. But what usually happens, Scott, is that in the process, we uncover a lot more questions Mm, (laughs) that that need to be investigated. We're, we're very excited about what we're doing at Shiloh, excavating on the, the northern platform or rather the northern fortification uh, area. And I, I think we're, we're shedding significant light on that transition between Canaanite hegemony and Israelite control of the land. And I, I hope over the next four seasons to be able to, to shed significant light also on where the tabernacle rested at Shiloh. And mm-hmm. I think we already in season one have uncovered evidence of that, that early Israelite cultic uh, activity, because for th- over three centuries before Jerusalem was anything, all of Israel worshiped at Shiloh. I mean, it was mm-hmm. all about Shiloh. And mm-hmm. I, I think about Jeremiah seven twelve, where God told Jeremiah, go now to Shiloh and see what I did there, that place where I first caused my name to be known. See what I did because of their wickedness and make it known. Mm -hmm. And of course, this was Jeremiah's warning to the people of Jerusalem of what was about to happen to them as well. So I I feel like that's kind of my mandate is to go now to Shiloh and see what I did there, uh, examine the evidence and make it known.
0: That's powerful. Uh, On a completely different subject, and just as a a footnote for future reference, I'd love to talk to you about the Ark and Obed Edom's house and some of that stuff at some point. Completely well, different subject. We'll have, let's
1: do that. That I was just responding to the Israeli newspaper I was telling you about. That was what their question was about, too. So I was really? just responding to that about an hour oh, ago. So uh okay. I look forward well, to a future conversation with you about that.
0: It's a fascinating subject for me. And I mean, just the way the the way the text reads there about the impact or the effect. In Obed Edom's house about, you know, when the yep. Ark was was present there after obviously the tragedies of trying to bring it up in a way that was uh not the way it was supposed to be born. Yep. Uh, forward. But yeah, another conversation. But <laughs> shoot me a link to that article. Uh I, mean, uh
1: I will. It's kind of it's based in the uh the new dig that started at Kirit Yadim. But uh-huh. remember, before the house of Obed Edom, it was at uh, Kirith Yadim. Right. And uh there's a new dig that just started there that's kind of controversial. That's making a bunch of claims that maybe the Ark of the Covenant stayed there and it wasn't taken to Jerusalem like the Bible says, and so on and so oh. forth. So oh, welcome wow. to my world. That's the skepticism <laughs> that I get to address on a uh on a regular basis.
0: Well, that's too heavy of a lifting for me, but I'll appreciate it from the distance at which I can see it. But uh,
1: oh, yeah. Know, please, Stay out of the fray, do. you don't want
0: to take any punches here. <laughs> I'm saying it sounds like they're swinging. So very cool, you guys are. I really appreciated your commentary about the Jesus movement or the the movements of Jesus. You know mm-hmm. the the original sort of thrust and of understanding what can we gain from that. Very very cool. I've I've often said personally that you know Jesus style. You know, there's a style about the way that Jesus did things that is in, in in scarce supply, it seems like, so much in our times that I think could inform us and, and really be a blessing to us if we could come to understand it and cooperate with it.
1: Yes, yeah, Scott, I think we're all caught in a vortex in a sense. I mean, um, the the information age and all the, just the regular pressures of life, but it seems like there's a, a vortex that that it's we've all been sucked into, mm-hmm. and uh, it's only by the Spirit of God that we're able to then Step out of that, and I think see things from God's perspective, and then help others to see that as well.
0: Right, absolutely. We'll have to take that for a subject of future conversation. So, as we're as we're kind of closing up here, and again, I, I would love to have you back on. I think we'll we'll make plans to do that uh, soon. Thanks again for your time this time and previously on our leadership moment. What can we pray for you guys about as a ministry? I know you've got a lot going on. What can we, as a, as a group who've benefited from your contribution here, how can we pray for you and what you've got going on, and what should we watch for in terms of announcements or things like that? Well, thank you for asking, Scott. First, let me uh, tell everyone how they can
1: follow us. Um, the seminary website is thebibleseminary.org. The DIG website is digshiloh.org. And my personal website is scottstripling.net, and so they can kind of follow along with what we're doing through those through those resources. Um, okay. I covet, covet your prayers and, and support for the work that we're doing at Shiloh and the partnership we have with the Bible Seminary of, of training up people who have this comprehensive worldview and the opportunity to do firsthand biblical scholarship. Mm. It's a challenge but it's one that I've I'm fully fully bought into and fully convinced that is critical that we do this. So I invite your your prayers for that. I'm in this this arena where we're interacting with a number of skeptics in the battle for the Bible that a lot of folks don't even realize that there is a battle for the Bible going on and there really mm-hmm. is and we're yeah. down there in the trenches doing that and so I appreciate your prayers for the associates for biblical research that I represent as well as the director of excavations that we would represent God well in the work
0: that we're doing. Thank you. I know it may not look like it to many, but it's a battlefield that you're on. There's no question. I mean, just some of the things that I've in, in my little bit of exposure, you know, I think a lot of the very, um, as you say maybe super liberal ideologies that are out there they they're baiting genuine believers with this stuff that sounds like wow that's something i really need to get to know the historical jesus as you're saying or other things of that kind where a, some kind of a story is set forth where really the 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 foundational elements of our faith we're being tricked into of the conversation in a way that 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 makes us question the principles of reality itself and and the truth and and to me that I appreciate your efforts to withstand and speak wisdom and truth to those venues I've only seen a little bit of that but I know in your in your purview that is all around you do you do you see that
1: Oh, absolutely. And I appreciate the opportunity to make it known to your listeners. If they'd like to know more, they can check out my new book, The Trial and the Truth also. And they can contact me through social media, through the website or through social media and so forth. And I look forward to maybe having some of them join us as volunteers at our excavation and becoming friends and uh,
0: partnering with us. Absolutely. Well, once again, Scott, thanks. The Trowel and the Truth, that's your new book. And you said it's available broadly, but on Amazon uh, Mm -hmm. in terms of convenience. Very cool. We'll check that out. Thanks so much, so much, so much for being with us. It was exhilarating. I, most of all, have enjoyed it and, and been enriched. I'll include your contact information in the show notes. And we'll look forward to seeing you downrange. And I'll look forward to having a coffee with you and the discussion of Obed Edom's house when Houston dries out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, blessings to you, Scott, and to all of your listeners.
0: All right. Thank you very much, Scott. Okay, take care. This is Scott McClellan with your From the Forefront. Contact me or us. Please do so at fxmissions.com. This podcast made possible through the partnership of Engaging Mission Show bringing missions home, and encouraging you to hear a message, make connections, and take action. Find out more at engagingmissions.com. Thanks for joining us for the FX Missions podcast from the forefront. If you'd like to find out more about FX Missions, please do so at our blog, fxmissions.com. Quite a bit of content out there. We hope you enjoy it. Also, If you'd like to rate us on iTunes or whatever podcast service you use, we would really appreciate it. And find out more about today's guest at our Facebook page. Just search for From the Forefront on Facebook. If you know of someone who should be featured on From the Forefront because of their Forefront missions, experience, or exploits, please reach out to us at info at fxmissions.com. Thanks again for joining us. And until next time, I'm Scott McClellan and you have a good one.